I'm Pastor Michael Ansman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Last week, we uh, began uh, an introduction. I preached on rival baptisms that seek to draw us away from Jesus Christ that, that uh, may appear good and may even help us frame the world in a way that might be even meaningful. Uh, but we talked about how they are false and have no hope in them in addressing the deep, real need that we have as, as human beings wounded um, uh, by sin. So I'm going to apologize in advance, right? If during the sermon series I get a little salty, I'm just warning you now at the beginning, okay? <laughs> just letting you now in the beginning. So, <laughs> so this past year, like we've said many times already, has been a, a tough one. Um, when we had to close the church, we started thinking about, oh, well, how are we going to do this? And we started, uh, we pivoted very early, actually, to, to live streaming our services. And we experimented with live streaming and then pre-recording. And we decided to go with um, live stream completely because the pre-recorded sermons weren't, weren't really received well. More people were willing to watch live and then to come back and watch the live videos afterwards than just making the video, posting it from somewhere else, and so forth. And that was, a, that was a, a good experiment for us. But, you know, some of our larger non-denominational brothers and sisters, they've been doing this for years. But it was a newer experience for smaller churches like ours. And another wrinkle, and, and a larger wrinkle from even more traditional churches, was how do we celebrate the Eucharist during a lockdown? How do we do that in a healthy way? And this has led to a lot of debate and reflection but some citing on the, the, the attitude of, yeah, it's cool, we can do it on live stream, it's great. Versus those like me who, who, who don't believe that you can have a virtual Eucharist. Because to me, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble one day with, with members of my family probably, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, a virtual Eucharist to me is like that time, you know, a healing evangelist told the people, you know, put your hands on the screen, and as I pray for you, you know, the power is going to go through the television, up your hands, uh, and into you, and then... Once that happens, please send me money. So the virtual Eucharist sounds too much uh, like that kind of tomfoolery to me. Uh, so, you know, we don't, we don't do things that way, that way here. But all of that to say, right, that, that, that COVID has caused us all to ask ourselves some basic questions once again. It has got us all, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you go to church, it has us asking questions like, what is the church? What is worship? What is the point of all of this? Is the church the building or the people? Can you, should you go to church or should you be the church? Is that accurate, right? <laughs> this has led to people boldly declaring that the old ways of doing church are over in a post-COVID world. That we're going to have to learn that this is a new normal. But are they right? You know, a few years back, I preached the sermon series called What's the Point? And uh, if you haven't listened to that, I think it's, if you go to our SoundCloud page and even on our podcast page on Apple, it's, they're all still there. I, I highly recommend you go back and listen to them. Uh, we, we laid out just what worship is and what it does to us. And today we're starting a new series, which I guess is sort of building on that, called The Church Is and The Church Is Not. 
the church is and the church is not. And this was born out of everything that's been happening around us, but also what I've been thinking about and wrestling with in private, thinking and praying about what the church is and what the church is not. And hopefully we'll answer some of these questions as we continue through these series and, and hopefully as well chart out some growing edges for us as a church. So this new series is going to serve as kind of an addendum or an outgrowth of what I preached in the What's the Point series from a few years back. And hopefully we'll get some clarity about what the church is and what the church is not. What the church is, the church is not. So before we get into what the church is not, because let's be honest, it's easier for me to focus on the negative. It's just something I... I'm, I'm that kind of person, right? When, if you were to talk to me about something, I would immediately find, I would immediately see the negative. Um, no, we can't do that because of this. My wife can attest, like whenever we try to have a conversation, she's like, do you think we could do this? And my first answer is always no. And then I think about it, and then I'll say, you know, you know what, I think we might actually be able to do that if we do this, 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 and this. But my initial answer is always no. And it causes a little bit of friction because I don't stop and, and, and stop myself from saying no instead of listening and thinking and then speaking, which is a lesson that we can all learn, by the way. So we're going to focus first and initially in, in all of these sermons, I guess, on what the church is. Focus on the positive, and at the end we'll touch on the negative and move forward from there. All right, so in the early... Uh, 1900s, uh, Pentecostal Christians set up what were called healing rooms. And healing rooms were a place where sick people could go and receive faith healing for their diseases. Because in the early 1900s, like our, our knowledge of medicine isn't obviously as great as, as it is now, right? And so uh, this was a place where people could go uh, for a treatment that they thought would work for them. And this idea kind of stuck in my head throughout the years of the church having uh, these healing rooms where people could go to get well from their diseases. But then I started to think more about it, and, and I came across stuff in my own personal study over the years about the church being a hospital. And there's, there's a quote that's attributed to St. John Chrysostom, which in all of my research, I haven't actually been able to find the origin, so it actually might not be him. But I think the point is still valid where he's attributed to saying the church is a hospital for sinners, not a courtroom. And I liked that analogy about the, the church being a hospital and, and the church is not a courtroom. So if the church is a hospital, then we have to look at what does a hospital do? What's it there for? The church is a hospital that specializes in treating the malady or the disease at the core of the human person. All sickness is identified, treated, and dealt with at the hospital. Jesus said in Luke 5, 27 to 32, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So if you have friends in the IRS, leave them alone calling them to repent and refund you. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And at that time, tax collectors were seen as pretty wicked sinners because they could basically price gouge you. And the taxes would go towards Rome for the maintenance of garrisons in occupied, occupied lands. 
One reason why they were particularly hated in Palestine, in Judea. So Jesus is the physician. And if Jesus then is the physician, then the church is the hospital. And I think we can link that, the church being a hospital, to the story of the good Samaritan. Because remember, there's a part in the story, the, the Samaritan doesn't just put him on the horse and nurse him back to health, and they just kind of let him walk on, on the way. What does he do? He binds his wounds, washes him, all that stuff. Then what does he do? He drops him off at the inn. And he says to the innkeeper, take care of him, and if I owe you anything when I return, let me know and I'll pay it. The inn is basically, the inn is the church, right? When we look at this parable and when we interpret it, the inn is the church. And church fathers like St. Augustine, he makes this point as the St. Ambrose, uh, as well as early church leaders like Origen, that the church is the place where we, that we are cared for and healed, that the, the church, the inn is essentially like the hospital. Jesus is the physician who does the saving and healing work, who then tasks his body, the church, with the care of their souls. So in this short episode from the life of Christ, we can see something important. The sick are those in need of a doctor. And this seems like a no-brainer, right? If you're sick, you go to the doctor. Some people suffer from hypochondria, thinking they're sick. And every time they have a minor ache, say, oh, this, this must be cancer. And by the way, never, never, if you have something wrong with you, never look it up on WebMD. You know, because it could be, I just have a tension headache, and you look it up on WebMD, cancer. <laughs> you know, cancer. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. In the story, the thing that the Pharisees miss is that they are just as in need of treatment as the tax collector Levi. They are blind to it. The truth is, everyone is in need of Christ, our physician. Every single person. All of us have been delivered over to sin and to death. There is no person that is immune, nor is there a person that can skate around it. As St. Paul, quoting the psalmist, he says, No one does good. No one is righteous. Not even one. And he makes the point, I believe it's in Ephesians, where he says, You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. So in this short episode from the life of Christ, we see the sick are in need of a doctor, and we are all in need of a doctor. And this is an important point to remember. So playing with the concept of the church as a hospital, let's play with this idea a little bit and get into what does a hospital do? Right, so I work overnights occasionally as a, as a chaplain for an overnight on-call, and sometimes the reasons range from people who have nasty falls, really nasty falls, to car accidents, even to knife and, and gunshot wounds. And some are rushed into the, the, uh, the trauma unit because they've had a stroke or have some uh, other people come in for mental breakdowns. My point is that there are varying degrees of injury, but all require some type of immediate assessment and treatment. When someone is brought in, they are assessed. Where is the pain? How bad is it? If I roll you over, do you feel when I'm poking you here? Does this hurt? Do you know where you are? What is your name? People are assessed so the team can know what needs to be done and where to take them. Similar to the church. We've all come to the church with our past stories and our wounds, but we have one thing in common, our experience of being brought into the body of Christ. And it's here where what ails us is also assessed. Now, I may preach something that you do not like. 
surprise, surprise, shocker, shocker. I may preach something you may even disagree with. I'm probably not wrong. It's probably you, but there may be the off chance that I'm wrong. I may say something that really bothers you. I may say something that makes you angry. I may say something that gets you to stop and think about something, but then you have to ask yourself, why am I angry? Why did I respond that way? Is something that he said hitting a little too close to home? Did maybe something I assessed in my preaching hit too deep, dig too deep? Did a hymn or a scripture reading prompt a negative response? Some hymns prompt negative responses in us because they're really good. And they prompt these negative responses in us is because they're drawing us and calling us to change. They're, they're calling us to grow and mature in Christ or expand our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, there are some hymns that are just, that are just bad. Just bad. Like, lyrically, just bad. Like, I, I read another version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing from a different hymnal the other day, and I was telling some, some people in a meeting the other day, I almost lost my mind. It was that awful. Right? But... but some are just bad because they're bad, but a lot, sometimes they're bad because the Holy Spirit has kicked something up in us. And it's the work of the church to do that so those things can be, can be dealt with and can be healed. And like I said, the baseline injury that we all bring into the hospital of the church is sin and death. And, and Scripture teaches that humanity, due to its disobedience, has been enslaved to sin and to death. Hence the coming of Christ. His death and resurrection destroys death it destroys the power of sin. Now again, sin is something we're increasingly becoming uncomfortable with, and I say this all the time. And I've seen over and over again churches and movements in Christianity who have embraced particular subsets of theology that say things like, you know, sin is just being broken. Or they may say, you know what? You are enough. You are enough. Have you ever heard that? You are enough. You possess already everything in you that you need. Well, my friends, it's hot garbage. If you are enough, if you possess in you all that you already need, then what's the point of the church? Or, yeah. The problem with this idea is that, or, or, God accepts you the way you are. And that's not wrong, right? That's true. God does accept us the way that we are. Absolutely. But God does not intend for us to stay as we are. He's calling us to faith <laughs> and to obedience and to become what we are not. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something along the lines of, God is not asking us to become nice people he says he's asking us to become new men and new women. God does accept us, but in accepting us, he calls us to become what we're not. And that's why I see, honestly, the prosperity gospel and um, more leftist Christian theology, I kind of see them as the two sides of the same coin. Just, just different sides, different sides. And a, a theologian who's passed away now named Thomas Oden, he wrote this. The secular imagination says that if I am basically good and getting ever better, and my self-interested passions are reliable guides, 
If there might be a divine giver or source, such would not reject me for any conceivable reason. The resulting fantasy is a God who can't say no, who draws persons who never lack good intentions toward a Christ without a cross. Ouch. So, after the assessment then, what comes next? Well, then comes the treatment, and this is sometimes the part that hurts. Because when you go into the hospital, sometimes treatment hurts. When I was eight years old, I was in a horrible, horrible bicycle accident that had to be a miracle. And I'm I'm actually still here talking to you because I I could have died. Uh, Maybe I should have died. I I don't know. Uh, Or I should have at least suffered severe brain damage. Um, Maybe I have, (laughs) right? I don't know if you know me well. Maybe I have. But uh, we were on vacation in Norway. My dad was traveling around. It was like a preaching vacation for him. And uh, we were, he was done with the preaching. We were staying with some of his friends overseas. And so we were in Norway. I was about eight years old. And I was bicycling with uh, the child of one of the people we were staying with. And uh, at the end of the road, there wasn't a guardrail or anything, just a massive, massive ditch. Like in my mind now, I close my eyes and I see a massive fjord. But it wasn't really a massive fjord, but it was like a, kind of like a deep cliffside. Not straight down, but kind of like that. And the bike just kind of went over. And uh, I found myself just kind of holding off for dear life and ramping off of a rock and, and smashing my head on a massive rock. Um, and so I was able to somehow, through the blood and the tears, like climb up the hill. They called the ambulance. They took me to the hospital. They, the first thing they did, right, my parents washed the wound while the ambulance was on the way. And when I got to the hospital, what do you think the first thing they did was? They made sure it was clean. They took a needle and they stitched it right up. Let me tell you something. That hurt. (laughs) That really, really hurts. That really hurt. But it it was for my own good. The treatment had to occur to make sure that I would be well enough to travel and I could be well enough for surgery, which came a few weeks later back in the States. Some people in the hospital, they get released pretty soon after a few hours of of being treated, Uh, but some stay for the long haul, and both their needs that have to be dealt with for the person's health. So how are we treated in the hospital of the church? Well, the church is where we learn to pray. The church is where we receive the sacraments. The church is where we show hospitality to each other. The church is where our worship is focused towards God. The church is where our sins are acknowledged and forgiven. The spiritual disciplines are encouraged, especially that we're coming up on Lent now. That's going to be even more important. Because ultimately, like we heard in the reading from St. Paul in the Corinthians, we are the temple, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are to honor God in our bodies. Honor God in our bodies. And St. Paul gives a list. You can go back and read it of all the things that 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 entails. The church is where we are treated. So part of that treatment is based off of uh, Acts 2.42, I think, where they they got together to listen to the teaching of the apostles. They broke bread uh, in the prayers, right? So apostolic doctrine, what the apostles witnessed, testified to both by written and oral tradition, right? Apostolic tradition. 
Community life is treatment for us. Here in the apostolic doctrine, community life is important to us, part of our treatment as Christians. Right? Life in the Christian community. Sacramental communion, right? So a reference to the Eucharist. The Eucharist is treatment for us. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that at the end. God, we've lost this understanding, right? In, in large circles of, of, of Protestant theology, we've lost the idea that God uses material things to give us grace. And if you say, well, that's not true, then I would counter-challenge you by saying, well, that's the whole point of the incarnation. When Jesus, because, when God the Word, right, is born as Jesus of Nazareth, he does not come as a disembodied spirit. That's the heresy of docetism. He wasn't just like a spirit kind of floating around above it all. He was flesh and blood, a human person, a human being. God gives us grace through material things. And that grace transforms us. That's part of our treatment. And common worship is part of our treatment. Gathering together to hear the preaching of the word of God, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to witness baptisms. This is all formative for us and part of our treatment. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. When you go to the hospital, are you by yourself? No. Like, you may not have somebody in the room with you. Sometimes you do. But there's a whole hospital full of other people who are sick. And sometimes that means that we're not always going to get along. And sometimes the wrong treatment is applied to the, wrong, to the wrong patient. Sometimes the doctors get it wrong. Sometimes patients refuse treatment and they ignore the doctor. Is that the fault of the doctor? If the doctor says, do this and you'll feel better, and then you go home and you do something else, is it the doctor's fault that you're not getting better? No, it's your fault that you're not getting better. I'm not saying that's true for everything, right? I'm just using it as an example, okay? So if something's bad, I'm not saying it's your fault. Are you with me? Okay, just want to make that clear. Sometimes patients refuse treatment. Sometimes you have terrible doctors. Have you ever had a terrible doctor? I'm pretty sure some of you can remember a doctor that you had. Maybe their bedside manner wasn't very good. Maybe they came across as very uncaring. It's happened. Some of you have had amazing doctors that were there for you, that talked to you, that treated you like a human being. Sometimes the doctors are bad. Sometimes the doctors are good. It's just like that in the church, too, right? The church is not going to be perfect. If you've been a church member for longer than five minutes, you're going to realize that the church is not perfect. And you're going to realize that since we're all human beings, in the process of being transformed by Christ, we're probably going to make mistakes. And those mistakes are going to play out in how we relate to one another. That's just how it is. Now, if I come across to you one day as insensitive and uncaring, does it mean that I'm insensitive and uncaring normally? No. Maybe I had a bad day. Maybe I was helping somebody through something really awful. Maybe I dealt with a lot of death at a, at a shift at the hospital. Maybe I'm frustrated with, with one of my kids. And that caused me to not be fully present for a few minutes. Does that mean that I'm a bad pastor, generally? <laughs> no. 
Doesn't mean I was a bad passer in that situation. Yeah. We're going to make mistakes. And those mistakes are going to wind up hurting each other once in a while. And I'm not saying that we should just look over our mistakes and just, eh. Because a hurt is a hurt. We feel it for a reason. But we have to, if we're going to be a church, if we are the body of Christ made up of imperfect people all striving towards salvation, striving for holiness, the epistle of Hebrews says, without which we cannot see the Lord, then that means we're going to miss it. That means maybe the, the leadership team here at the church might miss it. It might mean we're going to make a bad decision. But that's kind of the, I don't want to dismiss it and be, and be glib about it, but that's the price of doing business sometimes. But the point is, we're not held aloft from everybody else. Right? We're walking the same road with everybody else. We're going to get it wrong sometimes. More often than not, I think we get it right. But we have to be willing to put up with one another. We have to be willing to bear each other's burdens. We have to learn to be patient with one another. Because we're all in treatment together. We're going to have to show each other a lot of grace sometimes. Hard to believe. I'm going to miss it sometimes. I know it's hard, but I'm going to. You're going to miss it sometimes. It's hard to believe, I know. But you're going to. But we're all imperfectly striving together towards holiness. Now, Let's talk about what the church is not. So if the church is a hospital, then I'd like to think the church is not something else. And that something else is a training camp for activism. So sometimes when you go to the hospital, you leave the hospital, and you need uh, some treatment. And I'll use myself as an example because it's easy for me to talk about the dumb things that I've done. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I had Bell's palsy, and uh, I remember I needed to get treatment. So I went to, this, to the doctor, and they put gel on my face, and they used this uh, uh, shocky thing to sort of stimulate the nerves and my muscles and stuff, and it didn't work. So I was like, well, here's this other person offering like a homeopathic remedy. I'm going to go try that. So it was very creepy, the whole experience, and I never went back, and what the person did didn't help at all. <laughs> it did not help at all, right? Sometimes, usually, alternate treatment, homeopathic medicine, it works because our mind kind of tricks our, tricks our body into thinking that it, that it does. But stay with me. If sin is just brokenness, if we are enough, if we don't really need to change or repent, and if sin is just what is perceived to be unjust systems of economic and political oppression, then what would the cure for all of that be? If you are enough, and sin only manifests or primarily manifests itself in, in structures of oppression that exist outside of the church, then what is the church then? The church becomes a training camp for activism. Forming groups of people to unite around fixing political and economic problems. And what are those tools? Agitation and protest. The church then becomes a training camp creating activists who've taken on the secular vision of the world while slapping a Christian badge on it. Activism looks at bleeding and broken patients and puts a bandage on a fracture and sends them out of the door with placards and slogans instead of the deep and hard medicine of the gospel that calls them to lay down their passions at the foot of the cross and experience a transforming power of Christ before then venturing back out into the world 
because, brothers and sisters, we understand that sin, primarily, right, affects our relationship with us and God and with one another. But sin does manifest itself out there in the world through political and social and economic systems of oppression. But the issue is we don't believe in this side anymore, and we've turned all of our attention to this side. You are enough. You're, you're fine. Just come to church. Everything is going to be okay. There's nothing actually really wrong with you. Have your, your, your self-actualization experience here, and now we're going to send you out. Let's protest this. Let's protest that. We need to protest this and protest that sometimes. But this is not the primary focus of sin. Or... The, the primary thing of what sin is. Does that make sense? Okay. Are you guys still with me on camera? Okay. Everybody in here is, is quiet and not amening, so. All right. We're almost done. We're almost done. A friend of mine, Father Anthony Perkins, he says that, that's, that this is not a sociology project we're doing to make healthier human beings. And the thing is that we are becoming healthier human beings because we're learning to become more human. But our becoming more human is in the pattern of the human, Jesus Christ. And we are united in totality to God. God is not trying to make us healthier human beings, although that will happen. We are being made saints, if you want to put it that way. And I think the primary treatment that's necessary for us, is, is highlighted by St. Ignatius in his letter to the Ephesians that he wrote. Oh, <laughs> very, very early on. He also wrote a letter, because the churches that Paul wrote to, they were still there, right? And Ignatius is writing to them, and he says this, assemble yourselves together in common, every one of you, man by man, in grace, in one faith, and in one Jesus Christ, who after the flesh was of David's race, who is the son of man and the son of God, to the end that you may obey the bishop and the presbytery without distraction of mind, listen to this, breaking one bread, which is the medicine of immortality. The medicine of immortality. Ignatius calls the Eucharist the medicine of immortality. He doesn't call it the NyQuil of feel-goodisms, he doesn't call it the Tylenol of a headache. This is really silly, I know, right? He, he doesn't call it like the Band-Aid of, 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 I don't know, whatever the word is for bleeding out all over the place. He calls it the medicine of immortality. That as we take it as medicine, something is really happening to us. Our sins are forgiven and we are ever united and receiving the grace of Christ. That is our primary method of treatment in the hospital. Now, to close, some of you are like, Fine. but to close, the church is, the church is not. The church is a hospital. The church is not a training camp for activists. Uh, an Anglican priest that I'm acquainted with, he says this, Father Wesley Walker, he wrote, to become healthy again, modern Christianity needs to be re-enchanted. And this can only happen when we stop viewing the church as a nominalist social construct and instead embrace it as the mystical and cosmic body of Christ. I'm going to say that one more time because it's really good. This will only happen when we stop viewing the church as a nominal social construct and instead embrace it as the mystical and cosmic body of Christ. While it is made up of flawed humans, 
It is an institution with divine origins in the work of Christ. It is the locus sacramentum, the place of the sacraments, the the instrument whereby God's grace is imparted in a tangible way to his people through holy baptism and the Eucharist. It is not a place for entertainment or even merely worldview training. It is a place where desires are shaped through the reading of scripture, preaching of the gospel, and administration of the sacraments. This, more than the deconstructionism so prevalent in our larger society, is the most countercultural ecclesiology you can have. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. That we are not a nominalist social construct. That what we are is, <laughs> is mystical and cosmic. That's a, God is, is, and I think, I, I'd like to say for our church and for all churches in general, calling us back to that vision. That vision where the church is the place where we experience the healing and transforming power of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Lansman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malansman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you.